All right. Hey, Rockbridge, I hope everybody is doing great. Hey, I want to ask you to do this, whether you're online, watching at home, or in all six of our physical locations. Can we just give God some glory for our Serve the City initiative and how incredible that was? And man, it was, it's amazing. Still going on in some form or fashion. It's really part of what we do ongoing throughout the year through our hope partnerships in all six of our local communities. But so many stories. We're going to share some more of that uh, later on in our message uh, today and this weekend, but also at First Wednesday, which I call the most important service of the month because we take the Lord's Supper and we, uh, we pray together. But for now, we're going to wrap up and conclude our summer series. And we're back to school next weekend in, in most of our communities. Hard to believe. So so we'll start a new series next weekend, but we're going to wrap up this series called Dangerous Prayers. And uh, let me lean in for just a minute. Uh, we started this year. If you've been with us at Rockbridge for, you know, the last year or so or six months, eight months or so, hopefully you've detected in some form or fashion that we are more serious about prayer than ever before. And uh, we began 2021 asking ourselves this question. Do we want a year of what we can do? Or do we want a year of what God can do? Do we want to be a church that what we can do? Or do we want to be a church of what God can do? And, and, and those of us that are sort of wrestling with that or said yes to that realized the only way we close the gap between what we can do and what God can do is to pray and is to pray dangerously. So in, in that spirit of just where I think our church is as a whole, we're going to talk about prayer in a way that I hope is invigorating and challenging. Because here's what we know, okay? Here's what we know. Most people pray. In fact, they've done studies of atheists. Atheists pray. Go to, go to nations that are completely secular with a minimal religious environment. Doesn't matter what religion it is. They're very, very secular. This is even like mostly Western Europe. And the studies show most people pray. You, you can talk to religious people, church people, non-church people, and most people pray, which is, just sort of says something about human nature and really who we are at our core. And most people, though, pray for the same things. And these things are good things. I mean, most of us that are moms and dads, I mean, we could probably copy each other's prayers expressed in our own unique personality of how we pray for our kids. Most people pray for their families. Most people pray, hey, help me make the best decision. Most people have an idea of what they think's best for them and they pray for that. So we pray for protection and we pray for food or shelter or we pray for prosperity or we want peace or we want comfort or help this person in need. We pray for healing. We pray, you know, we've got option A and option B. God help us get the best option and make the option right. So most people pray and those things we pray for are good things. Now, I could just stop and say, hey, let's close in prayer and go home, keep praying good things. But here's the question I want us to wrestle with, okay? I want to propose today that there is something more and something better than just praying for good things the way most people pray. Christians, non-Christians, church people, de-church, unchurched people, people that believe in God, people that don't believe in God, that there is a better way, if you will, to pray. Not that it's wrong to pray the way most people pray. Not that God's not interested in the prayers that most people pray. But there's a better way to pray. And so here's our dangerous prayer. Final dangerous prayer of the series. God, would you lead me to pray for more than good? God, would you lead us to pray big and best? 
God, would you lead us to pray more than good, more than the way most people pray, but to pray big and to pray best. Now, before we get into God's word, and we'll be in, uh, in the book of James, but before we get into God's word, let, let's just sort of quickly a- ask this question. How do, what do most people pray for? How do most people pray? And, and I think we could put it in, in roughly three categories. Most people play, pray by kind of routine, ritual, or tradition. It's just sort of their instinct. Maybe you learned a prayer that your grandmom always said before bed, or your dad said always before the meal, and you just pray that, and, and you heard some, and you just, it's just sort of kind of your prayer language, if you will. And so we just sort of pray, you know, God bless this food and the nourishment of our bodies and us to your service in Jesus name. Amen. Right. Now I lay me down to sleep. Our father who is in heaven, all perfectly acceptable, good ways to pray. Don't quit praying those prayers. Uh, We also pray for relief. God help me. God, get me through this. God, I need a break. I need, I mean, and probably a lot of our year or the past season we've been in, a lot of us have prayed prayers of relief. And then a lot of us pray in accordance with our perception. Like we think we know what's best. We think we know what will make us the most happy or what will make us happiest. We think we know what God ought to do in this situation or that situation. So we pray in accordance with our perception. Again, Nothing wrong with any of those things I've just said. I'm just proposing that we're asking God to pray for more than good, but to pray big, to pray bold, to pray best. And to to illustrate this and to teach this point, there's this incredible passage in the book of James, James chapter five, and we're gonna just look at a couple of verses and we're gonna get to understand what we mean by praying for more, by praying for big, and by praying for best. And here's the word of God. So we're in James chapter 5, 16. And here's what it says. The prayer of a righteous person is very powerful in this effect. I love God's word. And there in the first sentence, God's already hit us right in the face with two of the reasons, two of the major reasons most people don't pray or are, are confused about prayer or are hesitant about prayer. So we all pray, but we're not real, you know, we're kind of hesitant because this word righteous. A lot of us think, hey, prayer is a performance. A lot of us think there's really good people, there's people who really are good at praying and, and every one of the rest of us are just sort of average at praying. You know, my prayers might count more than your prayers, how some people believe, right? So, we, so, I, so the word righteous scares us because a lot of us are like, hey, I don't, I don't know that I'm qualified. I don't know really how to pray. I pray, but I don't wanna pray in a group. You know, people ask me prayer requests and I say unspoken, right? So, so that's, that's sort of a fearful word. We're gonna unpack that. And then this phrase here, very powerful in its effect. I think a lot of us, we pray just in case it's gonna work, but secretly we're like, well, I'm not sure it's gonna work. And so that's kind of the two things which all contributes to us praying good prayers, but not praying the big and the best prayers. But when we get underneath this text, this text is gonna open it up and I hope by the authority of God's word and the presence of God's spirit really gives us confidence to pray. And because of this confusion, James is gonna give us an example of this guy named Elijah. He goes back to the Old Testament and he says Elijah was a human being just as we were. So he's a guy who prayed, we're gonna get there in a second, and he's just like you and I. He's not super spiritual, he, he had sins and he put his pants on one leg at a time just like you did, right? So that, that's the implication. So let, let's stop for just a second and unpack this, the phrase righteous and the phrase very, proud, very powerful. This phrase very powerful, the word I like when, when you study kind of the Greek of it is prevailing, effective, 
it gets things done. And who doesn't like to get her done, right? That prayer gets her done in God's world, in God's agenda, in God's economy, if you can use it that way. So I, I just want us to at least suspend maybe our, our, our fears and our doubts and get excited for a minute that we can pray, you can pray, I can pray, this church can pray, single moms can pray, dads can pray, business leaders can pray. We can pray prevailing, powerful, effective, get her done prayers. Now, if you don't believe that right now, just hold on, but just lean into that for just a minute. All right, so that, that's the first thing. The second word we gotta work on a little bit because this word's scary. Because you know, if you're like me, you're like, well, I'm not righteous. I know how I thought last night. I know what I said to so-and-so today. And I know what I wanna do to, do to so-and-so who sat next to me today. I mean, we get it. I mean, so, so I, I, we all, and we all, we've all got a past. We've all got some skeletons in the closet and we could compare stories. So the word righteous is sort of a scary word. And that's where we go, well, I'm not Billy Graham. I'm not Mother Teresa. I'm not like my worship leader. I'm not like that. And, and so we sort of kind of create two or three layers of people. But the word righteous coupled with this phrase, hey, Elijah is just like you and I, meaning Elijah as a human being was not perfect. Elijah as a human being was a sinner. And so the word righteous is designed in this text by James to point us to something that it's not a performance-based righteousness, it's a relational-based righteousness. That our righteousness is not because we're good enough to pray, our righteousness is because in Christ, we too have been made righteous, and so we can pray the same very powerful prayers that Jesus himself prayed. Let's see this in the Word of God. 2 Corinthians 5, 21. God made him, Jesus, who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf, so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. So we're a human being, just like Elijah. We're not perfect, but in Christ, we have the righteousness of God. So when James is saying a righteous person, he is talking about a person who's in a right relationship with God through the blood of Jesus Christ. It's Jesus's performance on the cross that gives us the power to pray in his name. So it's not a performance, it's because I'm in relationship, I'm in a right relationship with God through Christ. Galatians says it this way, because we are his children, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, prompting us to call out Abba Father, that we have intimacy with God. So this word righteous is about the relationship we have with God through Christ and that he has given us, gifted us, imputed into us his righteousness. So if you're saying, hey, I don't feel qualified to pray, you're right. But in Christ, you're wrong. You got me? You understand that? So when God hears his kids praying, when God hears you go to him and say, hey, daddy, hey, father, hey, father, dad, God, I got to talk to you. He's not saying, well, I know what you did last night. He's saying, I know what my son did on the cross. Talk to me, son. Talk to me, daughter. That's what he's saying. Get excited about powerful prayer. So we can say it this way, praying for more big and best starts with praying to God by name. And this is what starts to distinguish the true Christian from the way everybody else prays. Because everybody else is praying to generic God. Everybody else is praying to the man upstairs. 
Maybe they're calling, maybe they're saying, oh, the good Lord. But the true Christian that has received by a gift of grace and the blood of Jesus, the true Christian who is in that right relationship with God, we are talking to God through his son. We're talking to God as father. We're talking to God in a covenant relationship. We're talking to God intimately. We're calling on God by name. He's not generic creator. He's not the man upstairs. He's my God and better yet, he's my perfect father all right so prevail and pray big best and more because we're praying in the name of Jesus because of the performance blood of Jesus all right so that's what he's saying when he says hey the prayer of a righteous man is powerful or prevailing or effective so let's go look at that. So now he talks about this example. So here's, what ha- here's the example he gives us of a righteous man, Elijah, who is just like you and I as a human being, who's, who's a sinner, who's not perfect, praying a prevailing prayer. Here's the example. So Elijah prayed earnestly that it would not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the land. Now, now I, I'm, I'm gonna challenge this because God word, God's word challenges. Elijah prayed for something bad. That ought to cause us to ponder, right? That ought to cause us to say, well, why would someone pray for it not to rain on the land, right? So hold that thought, just wanna introduce it. So Elijah played, earn, prayed earnestly. We've been, say, we've been describing the word earnest with this phrase here at Rockbridge, you pray until you pray. You pray until you get past the feeling of formality. You pray past the feeling of, man, I checked the box. And you pray earnestly until you are confident that your father has heard you and you have approached him as a humble, dependent son or daughter. You pray until you pray. So he prayed that it wouldn't rain for six years or three years, six months, and it didn't. Then he prayed again. And the sky gave rain and the land produced its fruit. And that is the example that we are given by James, Jesus' brother, of what he means by prevailing prayer. So let's go back and look at that story just for a minute to get context. So in 1 Kings, the story is found in about three chapters in 1 Kings. So there's evil in the land and a guy named Ahab has just become the king over Israel. And Ahab, if you just read his quick biography, here's the introduction. And Ahab became king and he did evil in the Lord's sight. Right, that's what it says, okay? And so in that context, God is being ignored and dishonored. And Elijah is praying in that context. Here's how the prayer came about, all the way back to the Old Testament, 1 Kings 17. Now Elijah said to Ahab, as the Lord God of Israel, so he's in God's name. This is the covenant making God with Israel. God made covenant with Israel in order to bring the Messiah, Jesus Christ into the world through the Jewish ethnic race. And now God can make covenant and does make covenant with the rest of the world through the blood of his son, Jesus. So the God of Israel lives, surely as the Lord of God of Israel lives in whose presence I stand. Now, how does Elijah stand in the presence of a holy God when he's just a, you, a person like you and I? The same way you and I do, through faith in Yahweh, through faith in Christ, through faith in God's faithfulness to God's covenant people, right? So when you pray, let's get, let's get fired up, you're in the presence of God. I ups the ante a little bit, it's exciting. Right? So he says, there will be no dew or rain during these years except by my command. And so he says, we're not, it's not gonna rain. Now here's where we under, have to challenge. He prayed for something bad, but he prayed it in the name of God. 
and he prayed it because he's in God's presence. So God, the implication of the text is God had revealed to Elijah that he needed to pray what you and I, in our perspective, would call a bad prayer, which challenges what I said at the beginning, that most of us pray for good things. So how do we explain that? A couple of thoughts. Elijah prayed for something bad because the best God was being missed. So he prayed for something bad with the hope and the intention that that would arrest and awaken people to realize we are far from God. And the worst condition you can be in is not three years and six months of drought. The worst condition you can be in is far from God. So that's, that's how, we, how we get there. So here, let me turn this into a timeless principle that doesn't just work back here in 1 Kings 16, 17, and 18. It works right here today in 2021. We can pray for good things and miss God things. Say it again. We can pray for good things and miss God things. And that's the, that's the tension we wanna feel here today at Rockbridge this weekend. That's the tension I want us to put on our prayer list because, right, we said it, most people pray. Most people pray for good things. But we wanna pray for more, for big, for best, for, we wanna be bold, right? And if we're gonna get there, we have to just admit something. Hey, I can pray for good things, but I might miss God things. As a dad, I can pray for Yasu and Abraham, and I can pray good things but I can miss the God thing. That situation at work and your perspective says, this is what needs to happen. This is the best. This is what can happen. We can pray for good things and miss God things. And in humility, we just kind of got to hold that and we got to hang on to that. And, And so we get a better understanding of that if we back up in the book of James, a couple of verses from the ones I read. And in the context, James is talking about physical healing of some sick people, okay? And I just want you to see what he does, all right? He says, is anyone among you sick, physically sick? He should call the elders of the church and they are to pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. Okay, and we call this a James 5 prayer time that we have every first Wednesday, all six of our campuses, and we have a time of prayer, worship, and communion. And that's the time when anyone who is sick can come and receive prayer in accordance with God's word. And then he goes on, but he changes it and broadens it, okay? And he says, okay, the prayer of faith will save, interesting word, the sick person, and the Lord will raise him up, and if he's committed sins, he will be forgiven. Now, I'm scratching this and I'm like, okay, uh, you know, James, you're talking about helping sick people and praying over sick people. And yet, but you're also now talking about forgiveness and sin and dealing with sin. God, I, I thought we were dealing with cancer. I thought we were dealing with COVID. I thought we were dealing with the flu or pneumonia or a bad diagnosis that we got from the doctor. But you're like, and James is like, yeah, I'm dealing with both. And that challenges me, challenges me. And then he says this, okay, so therefore confess your sins to another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. 
so, so what, what is he saying? And, and, and here, there's a, there's a lot of confusion and, and there's, there's some kind of craziness about this, this verse. But here's my, best, here's my best interpretation, reading it, reading some commentaries and praying through it, is James is realizing there's something worse than physical sickness. And it's called spiritual sickness. So in James's mind, if someone gets physically better, but spiritually stays dead or dying, that's worse. That's worse. Now, is he saying sin causes sickness? No, absolutely not. Is he saying all sick people that get prayed for by the elders will get healed? Absolutely not. He's just saying, hey, look, don't just lock in that you think the best thing for this person is to get over this disease when he's saying, no, 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 maybe they got a sin disease that Jesus hadn't yet touched. So let me, let me just be real, let me be real clear, okay? Christ followers, true Christ followers who follow the God of the Bible, not an Americanized Jesus, not an Americanized Jesus, but true biblical Jesus. We believe that the best thing or the best life is not to live to your 100, stay healthy most of the way, make a bunch of money, check off a bunch of junk on your bucket list, and then drift off to sleep and die and then miss eternity with God. That is a horrific tragedy. So James has said, look, we can pray for people to get over stuff. But if they miss Jesus, that's worse. So James is saying to us, God through James is saying to us, pray for good things, please. It's good if people get healed from sickness, but pray for big and more and best. And best is always Jesus now and forever. Now again, I know that's not comfortable. I know that challenges us. Because in our minds, please lean in. Most of us here today, we've adopted this notion that because we're American Christians, we should live a long life Realize the American dream, and God owes that to us. You will never, ever find that crap in the Word of God. So we got to pray for more, big, and best. So how? Because I don't know. I mean, I, I, I feel like, you know, sometimes I, I don't know what's best sometimes. I, you know, my kids ask me for something. I'm like, oh, you don't know what you're asking for, right? And so we do that with God, don't we, right? I mean, he's a father and he knows we're kids. We, we, you know, we're not all, we don't all have it together. We're, I mean, so, so how do we know? How, how did Elijah know it was best for Israel to pray for a three and a half year drought? Well, God has to reveal it because we can't understand everything. His ways are not our ways. He's big, he's God, we're not. So we gotta let God be God in our praying. 
So here's how we do that. Praying for more big and best includes forming our prayers by God's word. By God's word. That means there's gotta be an input from God's word, which is his clearest and most obvious and most available revelation of himself to us. And we discern God's will through his word. We discern more big and best through God's word. Keep praying for good things. Keep praying for people to get healed. We're gonna do a Wednesday night. Keep praying for your kids to be safe on the ride to school. Keep praying for your 16 year old. I am, right? Keep praying those things. But just say, well, but God revealed to me more big and best. Be dangerous, right? So as we're doing that, we have to be aware that there's other voices that will compete and conflict with the voice or the revelation of God. What are these other voices? Fear, ego, ambition, cultural expectations that get supplanted upon God and supersede biblical revelation from God. So we just have to be aware of other voices and, and, and filter and form and shape our prayers by his revelation. And then lastly, we have to get beyond what is merely good from our perspective. So it looks like this, God, I think this is good. I think this is best, but I'm praying big. I wanna pray for more. I wanna pray for best. Show me, God, in your word, maybe how I can pray more big and best for my kids, more big and best for my son, more big and best for this situation at work, more big and best for this decision I'm making. God, please help me. Because James earlier in chapter four, warns us against praying solely from our perspective. Here's how the warning shapes up. He says, hey, you want what you don't have, so you scheme and kill to get it. You're jealous of what others have, but you can't get it, so you fight and wage war to take it from them. And then James says, you don't have what you want because you don't ask God for it. So pray for what you want. Pray for good things, but don't stop there because he says, and even when you ask, you don't get it because your motives are all wrong and you only want what will give you pleasure. And usually that pleasure is limited by our perspective, not shaped, formed by God's word to us. So to move forward in this and to really give us some, some handlebars and application, I, I, I wanna give you two questions just to put on top of your praying, keep praying for what you've been praying for, keep praying for good stuff. We're just saying, God, help me pray for, bit, for more, for big, and for best. For more, for big, and for best. So let's lay two questions around the good things we tend to pray for. And here's, here's the first question. God, is this the most loving prayer I can pray? We've already seen an example of that. To pray for someone's physical healing and not to pray for their spiritual healing is not the most loving prayer I can pray. To pray for the drought to end in 1 Kings 17 and 18 prematurely before repentance occurred and God was demonstrated once again clearly as the God of Israel would not have been the most loving prayer Elijah could pray. So we push past, God help me make a bunch of money. We push past, God help me get a better car. We push past our perspective and say, God, what's the most loving prayer I can pray? Second question to lay over our prayers, our good prayers, our great prayers, is this the most God glorifying prayer I can pray? 
Is this the most God-glorifying prayer that I can pray? Is this gonna bring God more glory? Is this gonna bring the hallowing of the name of God? And, and, and sometimes we don't really know, but this has got to be the foundational desire and drive that shapes and frames. Because once you get into this language, once you get into this, it immediately causes you to pray for more, for big, and for best. Immediately it does. Most loving and most God glorifying. So what I just wanna do in the remainder of our time, I just wanna give us some examples, some handlebars, and then encourage you to take the good things you're probably already praying for, for your kids or your friends or your small group or your work situation or your finances or your health, to take the good things you're already praying for and just move a step in the direction of more big and best. Move a step in toward the most loving way you could pray and the most God glorifying prayer you could pray. So I'll give you an example just from the life of our elders, okay? Our elders are our spiritual servant leaders. We've got them in all six campuses and we have a subset of them that kind of oversee and work with me for all of our churches, all of, all of our congregations, all of our ministries. So when back in the spring, we uh, put out uh, seven ways to pray for rock bridgers, seven ways to pray. So instead of, hey, God bless our church, take care of our people, we wanted to go a little beyond that. We got this uh, from a blog, a Desiring God blog. And, and, and so here, here's seven things that the elders of the church have been praying for us. They've, they've been praying, God, open our people's eyes wider to you. Help our people see you. See you in the fog, see you in the pain. Help our people see you. God, fill their hearts with love for others because love is the mark of a disciple. Teach them the wisdom of your will. Teach them the wisdom of your ways. Give them boldness to speak of Jesus. Send them friends in the faith, not just news, weather, and sports friends, but friends in the faith. Protect them from the enemies of the soul, of the soul, and make Jesus look great with their lives. And listen, I just wanna celebrate because God answered those prayers. God answered those prayers. This past week of Serve the City, I'll tell more later, but let me just share you this. We have someone that's on Rockbridge Online. They live in Delaware. They flew down to North Georgia to participate in Serve the City and then flew back. I've heard this and we're seeing this in story after story. Thank God for Rockbridge being the hands and the feet of Jesus. We'll talk more about it first Wednesday. But God answered some of those prayers that our elders have been praying. In the history of our church, we've prayed that we could grow and, and help people find Christ. But as we continue to search God's word, we realize we needed to pray for more and for big and for best. So we prayed, God, we just don't wanna grow with people from other churches. We wanna pray for growth from people who are disconnected from church and disconnected from Jesus Christ. As we've continued to read God's word and get revelation, we're like, God, we wanna grow in diversity because we realize, God, you're not after just a you're not just after a large numerical church. The book of Revelation shows us you're after a diverse church. 
And if our communities have socioeconomic or ethnic diversity, we want our church to have socioeconomic and ethnic diversity because we're kingdom seekers. And the kingdom of God is not gonna be one little group of people over here that are you know, white and of a certain socioeconomic class and a group of people over here who are of a higher socioeconomic class and a group of people back there who are black and a group of people back there who are Hispanic and a group over here who are Asian. It's gonna be all of us, one in Jesus Christ, saying you are our God and we're all the same because the ground at the foot of the cross is level. So we just prayed for more, for big and for best. You can join us in that. I wanna ask every Rock Bridger, would you make it a priority, whether you do it online or in person, to participate in First Wednesday when you can? It's once a month and it is when we pray for the more, the big and the best, for each other, for our church, for our cities, our communities, our nation, and the world. How might Americans pray for more big and best? We know Americans are interested in health, prosperity, comfort, and happiness. We know it. We know Americans are. Let me, let me just give you just a, a couple of, let me give you an example that, of how, how we can pray. I'm, I'm reading this. So, so, so let's just say we're praying for health. Okay. God grant that they would be made well, rescue them from disease, heal them, but let their healing be full and eternal to the glory of the healing God. Grant that it would go well with their physical health, but even more so with their souls. What about the prayer for happiness? It's in our Declaration of Independence. It's part of being an American, right? We pray for happiness. And what, what about that prayer? The prayer for prosperity. It, we, we could shape it up like this. God grant happiness. We do not desire or pray for anyone's misery, sorrow, or sadness. But if the pain of surgery is needed for lasting healing, then we trust you with that sting. But our heart is for the lasting joy, the lasting joy of every soul. We do not ask for the fleeting pleasures of sin or the passions of the flesh that wage war against the soul, God, or for the comfort of riches that could turn the door of heaven into a needle's eye. But we ask even for our enemies, fullness of joy at your right hand, pleasures forevermore in your presence. Jesus died for this. May they see this and receive it. So much different, right? Oh, make me happy, God. Make me happy. How about this? Parents, how can we pray for more big and best? How can we pray for more big and best? Let's say you're praying for your kids' protection. You know, whether they're going to the military, they're going off to college. They're going to school, for kindergarten for the first time. They're going to high school for the first time. I got someone going, I got one of mine going to high school, one of mine going to middle school, right? And you protect them, God, protect them. All right, let's, let's go. That's, that's a great prayer. Let's pray for more big and best. I'll give you an example. God, every prayer for, for protection is this. Protect them from the enemy. Protect them from Satan. Protect them from unbelief. Protect the, them against the enemies of their soul. Protect them from eternal perishing. Protect them from turning away from you. Protect them from the temptation of Satan. So it's more than protecting them from a bullet or a bully, but for the enemies of the soul. The enemies of the soul. I'll tell you this for me as a dad, all right? And I've shared this a little bit to you. Now, I, you know, Beth and I are raising two African-American boys that we love dearly, adopted from Ethiopia. So it, it, this has not happened a lot and we thank God for it. But um, once or twice, one of, one of my boys has been called the N-word. And uh, it hurts bad. 
okay? As a white guy, I didn't know how much it hurt till I saw how my son's going through it. It hurts really, really bad. So we're up, you know, one night in the room, you know, and I'm ready to pray Old Testament prayers on people on that one, okay? Just be honest with you. I, I, I am, I, you know, I am. And, 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 and God's okay with lament, and you can take your anger to God, but just remember, pray for more, pray for big, pray for best. And so by the grace of God, you know, we start talking. And I'll never forget, and I, I don't know why I said it, because it wasn't me. I said to one of my sons, I said, can you forgive that guy? And he said, yeah, Dad, I can. I said, okay, great. And I said, okay, I said, what's the most important thing about you? And we say this a lot, so they knew what to say, but he said, Jesus loves me and I'm his son. That's more big and best, that my sons, as black men in America, that their identity is from Jesus Christ. Not in what anybody might say, good or bad about them. But their identity is in Jesus Christ. That's what I mean as a dad, for more being and best. I don't get all that right. I messed it up the other day. Thank God I got a good wife. All right, that's enough of that. <laughs> all right. How might you pray for more big and best for yourself? Just a couple of examples. John the Baptist, Jesus must increase, I must decrease. Because that's best. Jesus is best. How about Paul in Philippians? I pray that your love will overflow more and more and that you will keep on growing in knowledge and understanding. I want you to understand what really matters, that you may live pure and blameless lives until the day of Christ's return. May you always be filled with the fruit of your salvation, the righteous character produced in your life by Jesus Christ, for this will bring much glory, much praise to God. You know, I, I, I think I personally, I think a lot of us have been disturbed by the Christ-less character of the church in America in 2020 and 2021. And, and I've alluded to it, and, and a lot of non-Christians have alluded to it. Like, you guys look nothing like Jesus. So let's just be, let's do, instead of pointing the finger out there, Rockbridge, because I'm not a, saying that anybody necessarily, anybody here, but instead of pointing the finger about those people and those people in Washington and those people across the street, and those, well, let's look in the mirror for a second. When's the last time any of us have prayed, God, would you produce the righteous character of Jesus Christ in my life, in my marriage, in my job, in my neighborhood, in our community? That's more big and best, right? It's more big and best. It's a lot easier to say, God, I pray you help him get his act together than God, would you help me to look like Jesus in front of him? More big and best. More big and best. I close with a prayer that I've been praying over our whole church for a while. So would you bow your heads and let me read this prayer from God's word over us. I pray that he may grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with power in your inner being through his spirit and that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith I pray that you, being rooted and firmly established in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the length and width, height and depth of God's love. I pray to know Christ's love that surpasses knowledge so that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. And now to him who is able to do above and beyond all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. And all God's people said.